Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You are tuned in to the Foul Weather Podcast. Coming to you from the home office, Jack's Reef, New York. Gentlemen, welcome to Gumbo. The first rule of Gumbo is don't burn the roux. The second rule of Gumbo is don't burn the roux. The Foul Weather Podcast team shares some favorite duck and goose recipes, a recap of early season October weather, a baby Jaeger liver disease update, and your duck migration forecast, all on today's episode of the Foul Weather Podcast. We thank our every week listeners. You know who you are, those that never miss a single migration forecast episode each Monday morning. Y'all are as ate up as me about ducks, duck biology, and duck migration. You know where the ducks are at before the ducks know where they are at. You know where the ducks are before the ducks know where they are at. Our dedicated weekly listeners can pick the best days to hunt because the Foul Weather Podcast forecasts fresh ducks hot from the north. Shoot the ducks from the north before they know where they're at. I'm your host, Dr. Mike, coming to you from the home office in Jack's Reef. More fresh ducks in Jack's Reef? Hopefully you got them too. As a reminder, we produce the only duck migration forecast available. All other migration reports are just that, reports. They tell you where ducks were yesterday or very often last week. We use mathematical models to forecast duck migration each week from October to January for the Central, Mississippi, and Atlantic flyways. We drop episodes each Monday morning for the next week so you know what days are best to hunt fresh ducks. So last week, we did a brag about how the Foul Weather Podcast had been forecasting timing of migration across duck country. But this week, we got caught in a very specific situation that didn't get that timing perfect. There's a group of guys that we run into in a little marsh just down the road from the home office in Jack's Reef just about every time out. We really thank them for becoming loyal listeners. And so, you know, they end up hunting the same days as us because they use the Fall Weather Podcast, just like we do, to go on those best days. So, well, last week we forecast Monday and Tuesday as migration nights. I mean, there was cold stuff going on across the country. This was going to probably go on everywhere, right? So we bump into them as they get the decoys and dog ready on Tuesday morning, chat a bit, and they note that they're out because we forecast Tuesday is a good day. We knew it gotten full, like really cold, and, and we busted ice on our way into you know the little spot of open water we were focused on, and we did find open water. Uh, but the sun came up, and I looked north, and there was one very large problem uh, with it about it being a flight day. A huge bank of dark clouds just to our north all along Lake Ontario. Lake effect snow. It dropped over two feet of snow in some places just north of us. 
Ducks in Ontario weren't going through that cloud bank and they weren't going to go over it. Those cloud heads were super high. Our local ducks had pretty much either moved out or just gone to rivers and lakes to wait out the cold. And yep, immediately after that snow moved through and it warmed back up and we had some, you know, mild conditions, we had some favorable winds, the floodgates opened. My wife and I shot yesterday in that same marsh with Jaeger and had limits of mallards and some black ducks by 8 a.m. Legal shooting was 6.50, right? So we limited out on mallards by 8 and had some black ducks too. We didn't do a full uh, six-bird bag limit, uh, but we got out of there. Like as soon as we killed some birds, um, some good dog work. Uh, we didn't uh, we didn't miss a duck. I mean, every duck we shot at, um, it might have taken us three shots, but every duck we shot at died. Um, there were lots of fresh ducks to go around for everybody for sure. We're certainly at peak mallard numbers in Jack's Reef. And with temperatures well above to just above freezing, we should stay at that peak mallard for at least this week, if not for 10 days, maybe throughout the month of December at this point, um, where we're at in Jack's Reef in central New York. But uh, more later in the episode about this week's migration forecast. We also want to thank another listener who is a retired veterinarian, um, a, a, a Labrador retriever specialist, that chimed in with an email about her dog Jaeger and her mysterious liver issue. A bit more on that to provide more detail for folks. So her standard blood panel for her annual physical came back with elevated ALT um, values, but nothing uh, irregular in her urine sample suggesting that would suggest inflammation or gallbladder problems. Billy Rubin and albumin were normal. Uh, we tested for like normal tick-borne diseases. They were all negative. We did a round of antibiotics just in case. And her ALT continues to climb slowly, which again is like the suggestion that for some reason she's going through liver, not failure yet, but she's actually using liver cells faster than she's regenerating them. Uh, we did an ultrasound and found nothing abnormal. Um, so we're really on to that liver biopsy. We're treating with uh, this drug called Denimarin, which should help the liver regenerate. Um, there's also a bunch of genetic tests we could do to see if she has some congenital or inherited issue, but really like those cost a good amount of money and, you know, the liver biopsy is going to give us probably that information anyway. Um, one option that of, of something she might have is, is copper toxosis, which can express itself in dogs, um, and does so more in females than males around age five or six so basically the liver doesn't properly properly process copper and it finally accumulates to a toxic level where it starts to kill um, liver cells given that she's like six and a half years old this does sound like a possibility of the copper thing um, the treatment would be like a copper chelation or basically scrubbing her blood like her blood like they do bald eagles with lead poisoning anyhow we we have to see first, um, but if that's what it is, she's going to be going on a homemade diet um, because FDA does not closely regulate things like copper in dog foods, um, where we can likely do a better job by feeding homemade chicken, venison, veggies, and I guess supplements ourselves. 
Okay, so disclaimer, I am not a licensed veterinarian, so do not take any of this information as a recommendation of any sort. Just an update about our dog, Baby Jaeger. Um, The good news is she continues to remain asymptomatic and is running around the marsh retrieving, I think. Uh, Man, shit, she killed it the other day. I mean, better than ever before. She's just crushing it. Really looking forward to hopefully taking that trip all the way to Texas coast with her here in December and January with friends. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so a bit on October weather. Um, Probably by next week, we'll be able to give you an update on how November weather compared to the past, but those reports are not quite out yet from the National Climatic Data Center. For the period 1895 to present, or 129 years of weather data, starting in the Mid-Continent Prairie region, the Mid-Continent Prairie region average temperatures for October ranked 58 of 129, or considered near normal, but certainly a bit colder, probably because of that little bit of stretched polar vortex we had going on at that time. The upper Midwest and Great Lakes region ranked 104 of 129, and the Northeast U.S. ranked 124, both above normal average temperatures for those areas. But interestingly, the minimum temperatures for those areas were, were 119 for the upper Midwest and Great Lakes and 127 for the Northeast out of 129, both much above normal. And for the Northeast U.S., nearly record warm minimum temperatures for October, right? We saw that. I talked about flowers still cranking into November. Um, We've been extremely mild in our part of the world, and the upper Midwest and Great Lakes wasn't far off either. And these are a lot of the birds that pushed down into um, the mid-continent and lower Mississippi alluvial valley. So if anybody saw delayed migration, um, these temperatures might be why, right? These minimum temperatures were much more above um, normal. Uh, the mid-continent and upper Midwest Great Lakes regions uh, both posted above average precipitation, probably from that early season snowfall. Um, but the Northeast was was just at average for October. And I think even now, I think we're we're a little bit dry. We we're really having a hard time kind of holding birds in the area because we don't have river flooding in our region right now. One of the reasons we look at these numbers from the National Climatic Data Center is because people nearly always say things like, "Wow, it's cold this year," or "Wow, it's warm this year," probably from a single event or a few events, but having nothing to do with like kind of longer term. Uh, conditions during that season like the last two stretched polar vortex events but these types of comparisons to long-term averages will often ground you and put the weather into context remember ducks have been migrating for tens of thousands of years and are adapted to exploit seasonal habitats where and when they exist so having a look at 129 years of data compared to what is happening this year is a start to understand their migration a bit better Okay, so about, you know, ducks exploiting seasonal habitats. Stan from the coastal prairie of Texas wrote in last week to the Fall Weather Podcast noting, 
recently came across your podcast and became an instant fan. Can't wait to see how this year's prediction plays out. Thanks, Dan. Really appreciate that nod. He goes on to ask, I've been hunting the coastal prairie of Texas for 11 seasons and another 10 in South Louisiana before that. The number of big ducks we saw during the September teal season was more than we've seen ever for the past 10 years. And in mid-October, we were holding numbers of birds that were typic- that we typically don't see until late December or early January. However, November was awful when we normally start seeing them push in. Any thoughts as to why those early pushes came so early this year? We're all speculating its habitat impacts from drought conditions through the mid-continent area, but we're just guessing. Yeah, I think you nailed it. And this is not an uncommon message this year that we've been getting. And I think it was just that drought throughout much of the mid-continent and those ducks that typically move into lower latitudes following breeding just kept going. You know, that in addition to a couple cold fronts in October with favorable northern flight winds, there was also just not a lot of habitat between. I mean, as noted regularly by the Foul Weather Podcast team, even in a warm year overall, you can still have quality migration events, right? So thanks, Dan, for the input, and thanks for being a loyal listener. We will soon be starting to release limited episodes of the Kitchen Conversations and the In the Marsh series, which are conversations with duck hunters in duck country and raw, mic'd-up conversations and shoots throughout Duck Country USA. So on one of the upcoming Kitchen Conversations, we visit with Winus Point Shooting Club in Marsh Conservancy in Northwest Ohio. We learned the shirky cut in our visit to Winus, and last week we talked about the recipe for shirky cut duck with blue corn rub. So let's get into that recipe a bit more. This recipe is going up on the Fowl Eater page at fowlweather.co in the near future. Mr. Shirky actually emailed us and corrected the recipe a bit. After plucking, which at Winus they do with the hot wax and peel method, um, but you'll see on the foul eater page from the pictures from the home office in Jack's Reef that we just hand pluck, so they're not as clean. But after plucking, you cut the breast and leg off together with the skin included. Mr. Shirky noted that other than teal, they separate the legs from the breast because those legs are often too tough. He recommended to warm a crock pot up to high and throw the legs in for three and a half to four hours with the legs covered by, you know, a third of water, a third of orange juice, and a third of chicken or beef broth. After that time on high, he says, we pull and throw them on a grill to crisp them up and then baste them with any sauce you like to care to use like honey mustard. So thank you, Shirkies, for the correction on including the leg. I'm kind of a barbarian myself. I just like to throw them on the grill after the blue corn rub and just gnaw away at that leg as well, even if they're um, a tough mallard or black duck, but each to their own. Okay, on to the recipe itself. For the blue corn rub, any coarse cornmeal will work, but we like to grow and grind our own blue and red heritage corn at the farm here in Jack's Reef. So two cups of cornmeal, two tablespoons of Tony Saturys original seasoning, two tablespoons of Old Bay. All right, you can skip this if you think that it doesn't go with the Tonys, but it seems to work. Um, a teaspoon of paprika, which seems like overkill because Tony's and Old Bay has paprika in it, but I'm a fan of paprika. 
a teaspoon of garlic salt, a teaspoon of thyme, dried thyme, a teaspoon of dried basil, and coarse ground pepper to taste. Stir all that mix together. Place the duck breast with or without those legs on it into the rub and work the rub into the duck on several sides. I like to do this once and then start the grill and then rub some more of the stuff in a bit. It kind of works it into the skin and the meat, right? Um, I like to grill on something like a big Weber uh, pot grill or a green egg grill with oak and hickory charcoal. I've used kind of the match light stuff, but I'd avoid it. Um, and, and I'd use towers to start your charcoal. Just my preference on taste, right? Uh, once those coals are red hot, place the duck on the grill. Turning, Turn it regularly. Just don't burn it uh, too much on any side. A little char is okay, but not overly burnt skin. The meat should be red on the inside. Uh, not, not super bloody, but red on the inside. Never make it. Uh, do not overcook this. Um, it will not work out. Overcooked duck. Um, is bad when it's gray. So your meat should always be red on the inside, slightly gray on the outside. Uh, let it rest for 10 minutes. Cut it thinly across the breast whew, and enjoy. I like the legs, as I said, even myself. I like the legs, even though they're tough. Um, never never be afraid of going full barbarian on, on duck legs and unless you got um, major like tooth issues, okay? Yeah, but our favorite farm recipe is still duck gumbo, and we've done it m with many, many variations over the years. Um, I mean, having spent some time in the South, I've grown to appreciate time in the kitchen. In my opinion, every guy should be able to make a mean gumbo, but no gumbo should ever be the same. The basics of gumbo are the roux, the trinity, the primary meat, the sausage, okra, and the spice. For the roux, this takes patience and usually two to three cans of beer or a couple glasses of red wine. It is simply canola oil and white flour, nothing more. You can't use olive oil because the burn temperature is it's just too low. Stir the canola and white flour together on medium heat constantly until the roux is about the color of a penny. Check out our pictures on the Foul Eater page at foulweather.co as an example. Do not burn the roux. If you do, your gumbo is already ruined. That said, and because you don't want to step away from the pot, have extra beers or a bottle of wine handy. But also have the trinity, which is green peppers, celery, and onion chopped and ready to go. We also include hot pepper of some sort. Um, we've grown jalapeno peppers and freeze them and keep them. Include that hot pepper as spice. Um, and this can be varied by how much, you know, hot kind of measurement, how much spice you like to include. We don't add the hot pepper until later though. Once the roux is in the right color, add the trinity and stir it until cooked, but not like mushy. The veggies should still be firm, right? The trinity should still be firm. Then add chicken broth and water. Um, I'm not getting into exact amounts here. For those, go to the Fowl Eater page for the complete recipe. Um, to be honest, we've made this so many times, we do it by feel. I usually um, also have uh, our duck meat and sausage cooked by this time. So I kind of try to, we try to cook that stuff ahead of time. I like to grill the sausage ahead of time. 
Um, if you use spicy sausage, you may cut back on the hot pepper and the red pepper flakes. So here, let's just go with the fact that the meat is primed and ready to go into the gumbo. I like to pre-cook all the meat before adding it to the gumbo myself. At this time, we add the chopped okra, which is essential. If you don't like okra and do not wish to add it to the gumbo, you should probably not make gumbo or at least call it something just like duck stew because there's no such thing as gumbo without okra. We grow and store our own here at the farm in Jack's Reef. There's plenty. Clemson Spineless does just fine in, in northern New York. Um, and, and as long as you're not in the coldest, coldest regions of the country, um, if you're at least in growing region six, um, you can grow okra. It starts to get a little sketchy when you get to four and five, but we do, we've been doing really well with okra here, um, in Jack's Reef. All right. After the okra at this time, add some diced or minced garlic cloves to taste the hot pepper and the red pepper flakes as you like kind of for the hot portion of the taste. But remember, gumbo is a flavor and that the hot should not overpower the taste. The hot should complement the taste and hit slightly on the back end. We also add some ground black pepper and salt as needed. Again, be careful as to not overpower the overall flavor of the gumbo. All right, then simmer. Do not boil. <laughs> Do not boil gumbo. Never boil gumbo. Um do not boil gumbo uh, and do not burn it to the bottom of the pan, which tends to actually be be easy because you have to you have to stir regularly. Um, and as the okra breaks down, your spoon should be able to very soon stand up in the pot without you holding it. If it does not, your gumbo's too thin. So I think that's the basics. Um, you can eat it plain or over rice. We prefer over rice. Rice seems to really offset um, or, or sorry, complement the gumbo. Uh, gumbo, it's also always best the next day. We leave it on the stovetop till about bedtime. I'm usually making this like this is like a day where I've got either a Saturday or Sunday completely off or a weekday where I just need a break and I make gumbo and have a few beers um, and take that time off. So make it around midday. Um, leave it on the stovetop um, once it's once that st spoon stands up. It's been simmering for a while. Uh, leave it on the stovetop, and then at the end of the day, around bedtime, refrigerate it. Um, then reheat to a slow simmer early in the morning. I prefer to get up before dark, uh, but sorry, before sunrise, and do that in the dark, um, and then let it cool and sit on the stove for the whole entire day while you're away at work, um, and then reheat for dinner that night. So to us, proper gumbo is about a day and a half event really before you're eating it. And it actually gets better about day two and day three. All right, more recipes to come in the future from the Foul Weather Podcast team, but we'll leave you with that for now. So we've had a couple stretched polar vortex events that we noted might lead to a very organized polar vortex of cold air held in solid circulation at the poles. That said, there is likelihood of additional stretched polar vortex events into late December and January, but they're really um, what's they're less what's less likely is a full-blown polar vortex disruption that would bring super strong air across the mid-continent in eastern U.S. But the scene seems a little sketchy right now. Mostly, what we're going to see are these like stretched events, stretched events here and there that are going to 
hit a blast of cold air for like two, three days, not nothing long and sustained. So I think it's what I'm saying is, you know, stay tuned because we've been hitting and being able to tell you when those stretch polar vortex events continue to happen um, that have moved um, ducks south in a hurry on a few events this year. So hang with us. So these few cold events we've had have moved ducks to mid-latitudes and places farther south. And I think mallards are really balled up in mid-latitudes in the mid-continent. And I'd even say a bit farther north in the Atlantic flyway. I mean, the home office in Jack's Reef is probably at peak mallard abundance um, just this last week. And given the mild temperatures, we'll probably continue that way into the coming week. The hope is that with a typical El Nino year, we see colder than normal temps and heavier than normal you know, precipitation starting about the beginning of the new year for our southern friends. But, you know, what does that mean? Um, you know, ducks already at southern latitudes would be expected to redistribute to take advantage of newly flooded food resources and hopefully make them available to harvest to a few additional people. It also means that a bunch of ducks that just headed to the coastal wetlands might spread back out looking for places to eat, right? Pintails are known for this overflight behavior. They fly to the coast and then shoot out in a star pattern when winter rains make habitats increasingly available. So a lot of people are like, oh, the pintails just showed up. The reality is, is that in a lot of cases, they actually overfly you on dry years like this year. They go to coastal Louisiana, they go to the Gulf Coast, and then when those rains start to hit and accumulate and start to create habitat, at those little bit northern latitudes they kind of shoot out in a star pattern to take advantage of those food resources that have just become available all right so the migration forecast for this week is unfortunately eventful for most you know we rebound from that stretched polar vortex that stuff regroups the cold air moves back north and nearly everyone is milder than last week there's a few there's very few snow events to really report the exception is the quebec ontario border that's going to see a a really substantial cold and snow event that's going on right now into the afternoon today monday Um, That cold front stalls at about like the northern border of Lake Ontario, uh, really likely increasing peak mallard abundance in New York and about that latitude throughout this week. In the Atlantic Flyway, we really forecast a trickle of early migrants throughout the week, but no major movements like last week that everybody saw. Farther west, it kind of gets worse because after like Tuesday, you know, some movements of ducks early in the week. Um, but there's no strong push, you know, like last week. We know that mallards right now, because of these cold events, and then those that hung north are really spread out. But early last week, they really started their move. And by Thursday, we're kind of piled up at about like the, the southern Missouri latitude. Um, and they also trickled into places farther south. I think in a lot of places where there were flooded woods, where it was available, where private lands, people could flood woods and public lands, folks flooded woods. Um, I know it's been hard with the drought, but I know barrels were hot in the woods in many locales um, in that mid-latitude region last week with mallard shooting. Farthest west in our forecast area, we only see a slow tick trickle of ducks this week. The worst of it is that the rains predicted, you know, for the south under El Nino winter have not really taken hold. There was some good rains on the coast last week. 
but everywhere else remains really in a strong, really, really strong drought. We predict more rain next week across the mid-continent to help fill those wetlands, folks. Start looking at like mid-latitudes in the mid-continent, not this coming week, but the week after, kind of like maybe, I don't know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for a major rain event in the in the mid-continent area. It looks like there's a cold front running into a warm front, um, and maybe some of this El Nino stuff is, is starting to kick in. Again, I don't think that the wet is going to really hit us till January. If it does come, man, be ready to take advantage of it and hold that water. I know everybody will be. So for this week at Southern Latitudes and the Central and Mississippi Flyways, maybe look to reduce pressure and only hunt on those days when local conditions really look good for duck shooting, you know, high winds, low skies, cooler temperatures. Um, farther east, we expect a pickup of mallards in the Great Lakes region, but locales farther south kind of warm quickly. And, you know, you might in the Atlantic Flyway south of like New York, Pennsylvania, uh, mostly expect stale ducks for the week, so... Sorry, folks, they can't all be barn burners each week. Good luck out there and give them hell when you find them. But I'd say temper your expectations this week. It's likely going to be much slower this week than last pretty much across the country. So spread the word about the Fall Weather Podcast. We produce the only duck migration forecast available. Ducks will move. They will migrate. Follow us to find out when and where. Remember to share, follow, and rate us for free. We are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and Instagram. We appreciate it if you take the time to rank the Foul Weather Podcast, and thank you for your support. Also, look us up on the web at foulweather.co, that's F-O-W-L, weather.co, where you can find episode links, recipes, and additional information about how to support the Foul Weather Podcast. We are the forecast to your next successful hunt. Thanks for listening, and as always, may your skies be filled, and shoot straight, my friends. 